Kids. My name is McConley Vitoski, and I'm a part of Brookwood Kids. Our scripture reading comes from Luke 2, verse 6 and 7, which says, And while they were there, the time came for her, there, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Well, Merry Christmas, Brookwood. How are you? Yes, indeed. Well, welcome, welcome. Whether you are in this room or an overflow or watching online, uh, whether this is your first time and you're excited to be here or whether you were dragged here uh, this Christmas Eve, we are thrilled you are here. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I asked this to uh, the congregation a couple weeks ago, but just so I know who's in the room, I need to check this, the Christmas spirit level this morning, all right? And so how many of you, when it comes to Christmas time, like you're getting ready post-Thanksgiving time? You're getting excited. This almost represents, this picture right here represents your Christmas cheer. How many of you, that would be you right there? A few of you. God's people, all right? I'm a little worried because uh, I'm scared that maybe some of you might be the ones that just go along with it. How many of you, you tolerate the Christmas spirit and this is more you right there? Anybody in the house? Front row, my man. Well, whatever your Christmas cheer level is, I am thrilled you are here. And uh, you know, one of the things we talk about at Christmas time, we talk about it is the most wonderful time of the year, which maybe it is, but isn't it true that it is one of the busiest times of the year? I mean, it is just busy. Thank you, right there. The eight-year-old says it's busy. Come on. I love it. But you know, it's got end-of-the-year activities. We've got church events. We've got neighborhood gatherings. We've got travel plans. We've got all sorts of things happening. And we've got that little thing called Christmas shopping. Now, I couldn't tell, but how many of you have done all your Christmas shopping? Okay, there's a few of you that haven't raised your hand. If not, I want you to know you're in the right place because you're going to need a miracle. It's... Not even Amazon's two-day shipping can help you right now. You're in trouble. But isn't it true that people talk about this time of the year like it is the most wonderful time of the year? And while it is, it is Mach 3 on to the next thing. And if you're anything like me, I grew up coming to church. I didn't become a Christian until years later. But one of the things I struggled with is I would hear about Jesus in the first Christmas. And maybe you don't know Jesus or you come every once in a while, but have you ever thought about how out of touch the Christmas story feels with our sort of Mach 3 progressive advance, tech advance culture? I mean, think about what we talk about and what we celebrate at Christmas time. We talk about things like angels or shepherds in a field. We talk about magi or these wise men that are riding on a donkey or a camel. We talk about this little baby born in the middle of a nowhere town in Bethlehem not in a big city or not in a hospital. And you ever think about the songs we sing at Christmas time? Silent night, all is calm, all is bright. Now I witnessed two childbirths for my wife and that was enough for all of eternity for me. But if I were to describe that scene to you, you know what I would not describe it as? Silent night. And I certainly wouldn't use phrases like all is calm and all is bright. And so if you're new to the Christmas story or you just sort of check in every once in a while, sometimes as we come and we gather on Christmas Eve services, it just feels so out of touch with the life that we lead, the busyness, the adventures, the activities, the gatherings, the meetings, the Christmas shopping. 
And while it's true that things have progressed from that first Christmas, I do want to submit to you this morning that I think when we look closely, you might find that you and I have more in common with those people of that first Christmas than we ever realized. In fact, listen to what the, the, the Christmas story starts off saying in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All return to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. So notice what's happening. You have this Emperor Augustus, and this is kind of a power move because what he wants to know is how big is his empire. So he has people go to their hometown to register. Now, years ago in Chicago, I was a youth pastor. And one of the things that we would do every time around January is we would take our, our youth group uh, to a retreat. And the problem was we struggled to find a place that would fit everyone. But lo and behold, we found one of the most unlikely places that would house 1,300 high school students. And it was a place called Pheasant Run, and it was a resort. And so there were people, 1,300 high school kids that were coming to a resort that had a spa in it, a golf course, and a nice restaurant. Do you know what you don't expect if you're going to a golf course, a nice restaurant, or a spa? 1,300 high school kids. And so we would descend upon this place, and one of my favorite things was that no one would tell the other guest, hey, on your weekend of glory and relaxation, heads up, there might be 1,300 high school students around. And so one of the things that would happen is one year, i never forget, I was walking down to where my room was, and there was this couple that looked so agitated, and you could just smell this pungent odor from this floor. And this couple looked so frustrated, and they looked at me and they said, are you responsible for this? <laughs> and usually I'm pretty quick with my words, and I'm telling you, I just paused. And I said the first thing that came to my mind, I just looked at him and I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> and keep in mind, I'm, I'm pastoring these high school kids, telling them to follow God, and I just kept lying. I didn't stop there. I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like, why would they let all these kids here? I was like, I'm going to make a complaint. And so I kept lying and lying and lying. And I've since repented of that sin. But I say that to say, if you went to Pheasant Run Resort most weekends, you would find a quiet, relaxed, quaint little experience. But not that weekend. If you went, it would be overflowing with people, smells, sights, sounds, you name it. And the reason I tell you this is when you read the Christmas story, you've got to understand that for most of the time, Bethlehem was a very quiet, quaint relaxed little town, but not this weekend. It was filled with sights and sounds and activities. It was overflowing with people. They were in overflow, if you will. There was no room to be had. And we know this because of the verse that was just read. Listen to what it says in verse six and seven. While they were there, the time came for her baby. This is Mary, who's about to give birth, a virgin birth to Jesus. And it says, she gave birth to her firstborn son. Notice this. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Now, the term manger here can actually be best translated, uh, this guest room. And so some people think this guest room could be a cave. Other people think it's an upper room. Some people think it's a manger. Regardless of what it is, the reason they're in this manger is because, notice what it says right after that, there was no lodging available for them. They were overbooked. They were at full capacity. And I just want to submit to you 
that maybe the greatest threat that first Christmas was actually busyness. See, I, I want to submit to you that maybe the innkeeper, whoever he or she was, and whatever this room was, the thing that kept them from realizing the Savior of the world was right outside their door wasn't some big sin, and it wasn't skepticism. It was a busy schedule. It was an overbooked schedule filled with activities and parties and hosting and gatherings and meals that were happening as a result of all these people that were gathering together. And might I humbly submit to you this Christmas that although things have changed from that first Christmas, perhaps the greatest threat has not, which is busyness. And for some of you, even as I speak about Jesus and the coming of this Messiah, this is the first time in a few weeks you have actually sat. And the reason I tell you that, it is one thing to come to a Christmas service. It's one thing to sing songs about Jesus, who is a Prince of Peace. It's another thing to come in this room and to experience him as those things. And if you aren't careful, you can come to church, you can read the Bible and fail to miss that right in front of you is the Savior of the world. Right in front of you is the greatest gift, the peace of life. The peace which passes all understanding. And I just want to submit that if we don't make room, it's possible that many of us will miss the fullness of this Christmas season. In fact, I've been in church for years. And I can tell you countless times I came and sang some songs, did Silent Night, went about my busy life, and then missed the whole reason behind this Christmas season. And so I just want to submit if we don't make room, it's possible we will miss this great Christmas gift. Now, the culture we live in contributes to this speed, doesn't it? And you think about the, all the things that will compete for your attention and your affection. In fact, I was thinking about even a few of those things. One of those was the light bulb in 1879 that changed the way that we live and we work and we gather. Because before then, the way that stores would open or people would gather is when it was light and when it was dark, people would go home. But as a result of the light bulb, people could meet at all hours of the day Stores were open at all hours. And so the light bulb changed the activity and the speed in which we operate. And then there was something else that was introduced in 2007. Anybody know what was introduced in 2007 that changed life as we know it? The iPhone, the smartphone, yes, indeed. And here's what I want you to know. Seven years ago, seven years ago, which means that statistic has only increased, there was actually a statistic that said that on average, you will touch your phone or I will touch my phone 2,600 times a day. Which means, statistically speaking, some of you have done that during my sermon. <laughs> so repent. But isn't it funny that when we talk about all these things, these tech advancements, people thought for years they would actually free up time, but what we found is we're actually addicted to speed. You know, mental health professionals have actually talked about a term called hurry sickness. And what they suggest is even when you sit in a room like this, as you sit here, your mind is filled and overflowing with fears and worries and thoughts. Even one of the people that uh, is on staff that I love working with, he confessed to me that as we gather on Mondays to pray, he said, when we sit, I find my mind ruminating with all the things that need to be done. I struggle, even as a Christian, to find the peace that God brings. So it's one thing to come in and proclaim loyalties to Jesus. It's another thing to actually experience him as Prince of Peace. It's another thing to actually make room and, and create margin in your life where you know Jesus as these things. And some of you, as I speak about this, you go, that's great for you to say, but my schedule is packed. I'm one of those people that as soon as we get done here, I've got to go to work 
or I've got family coming in and I've got all these gatherings, I've got all these activities. And so for some of you, again, this is the only moment you get. And I was thinking about something that I wanted to encourage you with. There's a story of a woman named uh, Suzanne Wesley and she had 10 children, 10 children. Why she had 10 children, I'll I'll never understand. But she had 10 children, and one of those children was a man named John Wesley who greatly influenced the faith. And John Wesley talked about the fact that his mom with 10 children influenced his prayer life, influenced the way he follows God. Now what he will tell you is that his mom did not have a room that she could break away to. They had one giant room where they stayed most of the time. She couldn't get an hour long lunch break. And yet, John Wesley talks about this woman with 10 children who had no margin influencing his life because she constantly found a way to make room for what matters most, which is Jesus. And you go, how does she do it? One of the things he talked about that she would literally do in the kitchen as she was preparing food is she would literally get her apron and she would put it over her head. And John Wesley talked about the fact that the kids knew that when mom put the prayer tent over her head, the apron over her head, everyone knew, don't mess with mom or die. And that was the only margin that she could find. And the reason that I'm saying this to you is some of you, you know that you don't have a whole lot of opportunities to make room, but maybe for you this Christmas season, before the kids wake up tomorrow, it's as simple as getting 10 minutes to sit by the fire or to sit by the Christmas tree and ask the Spirit to help you prioritize what matters most. Maybe for some of you, if you're working, it's 10 minutes and a lunch break to simply read the Christmas story and ask God to give you fresh eyes. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's taking a walk around your neighborhood for 10 minutes and just asking the Holy Spirit to help you not become familiar with the Christmas story to give you fresh eyes to see what this is about, this baby that's born that doesn't stay a baby, that grows up and transforms the world because it doesn't matter if Jesus was born in Bethlehem if he's not born in your life. And so it's an invitation to sit down and to make room for what matters most. And even as I was praying, I was thinking about this. For, For some of the men in the room, I wanna issue a challenge to you. Some of you are gonna be gathering with friends and family. What does it look like for you to simply Read the Christmas story and pray for your family gathering. It's just something as small as creating five or 10 minutes to make room for what matters most because I would contend to you that for many of us, the thing that will cause us to miss the savior of the world and the peace that he brings is not some big sin, but it's an overbooked schedule. It's the next two days that are blitzed with activities and gatherings and good things. But what I want you to see is that I'm actually asking you to make room for great joy. Because if you're anything like me, oftentimes when people would tell me to make room, it always felt like it was making room for obligations. Come and do a Christmas service sometimes or checking off a box in my devotional. But what I want you to see is what I'm asking you this Christmas. It's not to make room for a bunch of activities. I'm asking you to slow down from the busyness and the pace and the restlessness. I'm asking you to sit and make room for great joy. In fact, listen to what was said when the angels announced the arrival of Jesus in Luke chapter two, verse 10. It says, but the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. You ever think about the fact that that there is such a thing called light pollution? 
And light pollution, if you're ever in a city, what will happen is you will see all these city lights, you'll see all the street lights, and what it will do is actually, it will drown out the stars in the sky. And I've had the opportunity to go to Africa several times, and if you've ever been in a, a, a place that's in the country, or you've been in a place like Africa, you ever notice you can look up and see the stars as bright as ever? But what's interesting, I was thinking about this, is that oftentimes, earthly lights will drown out the heavenly lights in our cities. And the reason I say that is if you aren't careful that there are good things in life that will drown out the God things in life, amen? And I just know that many of you, God has blessed with all sorts of good things, jobs and promotions and family and health, success, resources. But isn't it interesting that sometimes those good things can actually replace the God things in your life? Those things that God blesses you with actually become the thing that you derive your sense of identity and worth. And so if you sit in here this Christmas, might I contend that if you sit here with worry and anxiety or anger or frustration, is it possible that maybe somewhere what's happened is those good things that God has given you have actually become that God thing in your life? And so what happens is you miss out on the peace and the joy and the life that God brings to you this Christmas season because what I'm asking you to make room for is not more activities, it's not even church, it's the King of kings and Lord of lords, amen, who's come in this very room. And that first innkeeper, I believe, missed Jesus, not because of some big sin, but because of a busy schedule that kept her or him from seeing what was right in front of them. See, I love what C.S. Lewis says in one of his books. He talks about the joy that Jesus brings and the absence of joy that we find in this world. But I love what he says. Listen, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that what they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. I love what he says here. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, can I just contend that sometimes good things become God things, and the problem with good things is you need more and more good things to get back to that place of satisfaction. And so you need more power, more success, more money, more fame, more recognition, more speed. And the invitation is not to try to do more. The invitation this Christmas is to make room and find out what is right in front of you, which I believe is the Savior of the world. In fact, well, I love what it says in John chapter one, verse four. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, it's interesting, in the Bible, there are actually three words in the Greek for life. And so the first one you find is, you'll see it behind me, is actually this word bios, which is body. And this is physical life. The next is psyche, which is emotional life, and then the next is that we see of zoe, which is supernatural life or supernatural joy. And so what I want you to see is you talk about making room. You're not making room for physical life that one day you say a prayer and you go be with Jesus. You're not even making room for emotional life, that you feel good. What you're making room for is supernatural life, otherworldly life. And so you're making room for otherworldly peace and joy. But here's the thing, this joy can only come from a savior. Think about it, the moment you talk about Jesus being born, everyone loves Christmas Jesus, right? 
He's warm and he's friendly and he's a baby. And anytime you talk about Jesus coming as a baby, everyone loves that. The moment you talk about Jesus as a savior, everyone sort of bristles at that because it means that we need to repent or we need to humble ourselves or there's sin. But I just wanna contend to you, you can't have the great joy without a great savior. In fact, listen to what verse 10 that I just read says and notice that it's connected to verse 11. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today. How, where, who? It's because today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You ever think about what it is this Christmas season that you've been saved from, that you've been rescued from? In fact, I wanna just contend that all of us before Jesus are born with these soul deficits. What I mean by that is, you ever notice that people who have everything great on the outside still talk about life as though something's missing? Like I mentioned this last night, there was an interview that was done with Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, I don't know how many Super Bowls he won. Um, I don't really care, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, I'm sorry. (laughs) But Jesus loves him. Dallas Cowboys, amen. Hey, I didn't say there was a bunch of wisdom in this room. That's why we're here this Christmas season. But I remember watching this Tom Brady interview. I think it was on 60 Minutes. And they asked him this question that just sort of stuck with me because the, the host asked him this question. They said, so you've won four or five Super Bowls, whatever it was. And they said, are you happy? And he said this sort of paraphrased statement. He said, Although I have all these things and everyone tells me I should be happy, I can't help but to believe something's missing. I can't help but to believe something's missing. And so it's possible that all of us can look at things and we see it in culture and society. You see these celebrities who have everything and yet when you listen to them, what you find is there's these soul deficits. And I would contend all of us are born with these. And I'll just show you a couple of them right here. One of them is acceptance. And so deep down, I believe we're born with this feeling that maybe we'll never truly be accepted for who we are. You ever notice how quickly people tell you what they do for a career? Like I'll never forget, there was a guy who who hated people asking him what he did for a living because he would work at a grocery store. And one day he would tell people, hey, I worked at a grocery store. And so he decided to change the way he spoke. And so one day he said, when he was asked what he does, he said, you know, I'm actually a paper and plastic technician. And everyone's like, oh, that's real important. He's like, yeah, it's over your head. <laughs> and so you ever notice how people will quickly ask what it is that you do for a living? And based on what you do, that answer will give you a sense of pride or a sense of insecurity. You ever notice how people will hide behind their bodies or their image or their money and their possessions? Because deep down, there's this sense that we will never be accepted for who we are. And then there's this feeling of like freedom. We end up getting these certain desires, but the very desires we have end up enslaving us. And then there's this sense of belonging. That deep down, you ever notice when you walk into a room how often people will try to be interesting instead of being interested in other people? Because what happens is there's this sense that, that I have to project a certain image so that I can belong. And, and there's this fear even in church. Like I have this motto in my head about Brookwood and I love Brookwood because it is one of those places where we really believe there's no perfect people allowed. But the truth is oftentimes, even when we come on Sunday, sometimes we can be in a really bad spot and we tend to project that everything's great because deep down we don't know if we'll be accepted or we'll belong if we mention how we are. And then there's this sense of authority. You ever notice what people do at New Year's? 
They talk about these phrases like new year and new you. And we talk about all these changes that we want and we attempt for a while, but after a while what we find is we don't have the strength to do the things we want. And why do I tell you this? Because if you aren't careful, you can come sing some songs about Jesus this Christmas. We can do some moments with silent night. We can even proclaim that he is the Prince of Peace, but you will fail to make room and understand what you truly have in Jesus. Can I remind you this Christmas season, if you believe in Jesus, those deficits are actually fulfilled by the life of Jesus and this baby who's come. Because what the gospel says is that you are accepted, amen? What the gospel says is you are accepted not because of what you do, but because of what's been done on the cross, amen? What that means is that you have a sense of freedom, that the gospel has now set you free from those desires and that sin and that shame and that guilt. What you have is a sense of belonging, that you are a part of the family of God, that you are a son or daughter of God, and you're a co-heir with God, amen? What that means is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave now lives and resides in you. So you have this sense of authority. I don't think you're getting it. I'm going to preach longer unless you give me something, all right? Some of you got Christmas gatherings, but I'm just gearing up. But can I just say, can I humbly submit? It's one thing to talk about this. It's another thing to know it in your spirit. Friends, can I say, it doesn't matter if you've come to church once or a hundred times. Do you know how accepted you are? Do you know that if you're in Jesus, you really are a part of a family? Do you know the freedom that you have? I believe in Romans chapter 8, it is the best known in the Bible. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't just talk about a baby born in Bethlehem. We talk about a baby that has transformed our life, that is born into our heart because this baby grows up. And what what he does is he gives us a sense of acceptance and belonging and freedom and authority. And it's important that you see that this Christmas, I believe that as we talk about Jesus and the gift that he gave, the greatest gift that first Christmas never went under a tree. It would grow up and one day go on a tree. And it was the savior of the world. And when you talk about the cradle, I often notice it doesn't threaten people, but the cross does. Why? Because the cross costs something. And this Christmas, I just want to contend to you that As you make room, the cross is the invitation for us to slow down because this baby grows up and he invites us to make room and surrender our whole lives. And a lot of people are fans of Jesus. It's another thing to be a follower of him. And this great savior calls us to follow him. Think about it like this. There are a lot of people who are fans of Martin Luther King Jr., but few would follow him into the jail cell for racial reconciliation. Why? Because it costs something. There are a lot of people who are fans of Mother Teresa and taking care of the poor, but few would follow her in the slums of the poor and broken. Why? Because it costs something. Every New Year's, I talk, and I'm a fan of dieting, but I never follow that because I love Krispy Kreme. (laughs) And you ever notice there's a part where some of us, if we aren't careful, we talk about being a fan of Jesus, but we never really follow him, and thus this great joy and this great Savior evades us. And I'm here to tell you, that the greatest gift that first Christmas didn't go under a tree, it went on it. And that's the invitation that God has. And for some of you, this is the first moment you have to make room. And we're gonna be done in just a second, but here's what I wanna give you. I think it's the greatest gift I can give you. It's just a few moments where you are, where you sit, to just speak your heart to God. Because if you aren't careful, you come to a Christmas service, I speak at you, we sing some songs, and then you move on, walk through to the next. I'm asking you for these next three or four minutes, as in just a moment, The band's gonna sing a song that I heard about eight months ago. And it's just called Hush. 
And one of the lines is, will you make room? Will you make room for Jesus? And so as they get ready to sing, here's what I want to do before they sing. I just want to give you, even where you sit, just a minute where you are to speak your heart to God. In fact, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads right now? If you're in this space and you're on fire for Jesus and you're coming and you are dialed in, you've made room, I'm just asking you, even as you sit and as this song is sung, I'm just asking you to ask the Spirit to fan into flame what he's doing in your life. Maybe some of you, as I speak, you know you've been distant from God. And even as I speak, the Holy Spirit is reminding you that you've taken good things and you've made them God things. And he's not condemning you. He's just simply saying it's time to make room and understand those things can never satisfy. I can't help believe that maybe in this room there are some of you who don't know Jesus. Or you've come to church and you've thought you've known Jesus, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. And you know it because as soon as you get done with church, you go on to your life and you don't have that great joy that comes from a great savior. Can I just encourage you? It does cost something to follow Jesus. But what you'll find is the cost doesn't compare to the price that he paid for us. And I believe this in my heart that Jesus never calls you to leave something behind unless he calls you to something better. And that better thing is him. Do you know him as that better thing? And so if you don't know him, I'm not gonna ask you to come down front, but I do want you in this moment just to respond to God. In fact, if that's you or you're in this room and you just say, I'm not convinced I know Jesus, I haven't really surrendered my heart, I just wanna pray for you. Would you do something? No one's looking around. Would you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray a prayer for you. Praise God. Just repeat this, God, I thank you that you've come to give me Zoe life, otherworldly joy in life. I acknowledge that I have sinned, but I acknowledge, God, that you paid the price for me. So God, I thank you for the gift this Christmas season, and I ask you to be the Lord of my life. you're in that room and you prayed that prayer, let me just say welcome to the family. I really believe the greatest gift that you can experience this Christmas season is to make room for the Savior of the world. In fact, what I want to show you is uh, for those of you that are in the room, there's just a couple things as you're listening to this song as we're getting ready to close out. If you prayed that prayer, listen, we're not going to follow you to the parking lot. We're not going to stalk you. But if you prayed that prayer, I'd love you to text that number, New Life. We've got some resources to help you walk with God. If you're in this room and you just want some prayer, what you can do is text that number and text that word prayer. And once you text that keyword, you can respond with a prayer request you have. It could be a good thing you've got going on in your life. A baby that's gonna be born, family gathering. We'd love to pray for those things. This is a praying church. But also maybe you have some prayer requests that you really need a community of people to surround you. And then also maybe you're in this place where you need some care, you need some, some support. Can I just encourage you with this before they sing the song and we'll be done in a few minutes. But I was walking around this room praying for each and every one of you and something just hit me. There are some of you that in 2023, life has knocked the wind out of you. And for some of you, you'll do anything to keep from sitting because as you sit, your mind is flooded with all those fears, all those thoughts, all those worries. Some people will do anything they can to avoid being still. Can I tell you that Jesus wasn't born thousands of years ago in a distant place 
so that we can one day go to heaven. He was born in a manger and he grew up so that you can experience peace right here in Simpsonville. And maybe the first step to that peace is as we sing this song, you just sit and you invite God into that painful place. And I promise you, he will be faithful to meet you there. But whatever that looks like, making room as the band sings this song, as we get ready to close out, just speak to God whatever is on your heart.